Welcome to our Outdoor Knoxville Insider Podcast. Kind of ironic that we're sitting in a quiet, dark space with a guy who's devoted so much of his career to finding vibrant people who are really lights on this planet. And we are so pleased to be with David McLean. Thank you for being here. Photographer, explorer, storyteller. Really, really grateful for your time. My pleasure. It's good to be here. We're going to talk a little bit about your career. We're going to talk a little bit about what you talked about at the Legacy Park luncheon. Um, But I want to begin with something called flow state, which is uh, something that you have hit on is is something we should all sort of be striving for. Could you define that and and sort of tell us why it's such an important thing? Uh, For me, it's just simply being in the moment. And when you're in the moment, there's no past and there's no future. And when I put a camera up to my eye, that's how I feel. I'm not thinking about anything except exactly what I'm doing at that time. And it's um, it's really a heightened aware. It gives you a heightened awareness and just a heightened sense of, of being alive. And I think you can get that in all kinds of ways. And you found that in yourself, but you've also found it in lots of other people from very diverse backgrounds. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to talk today about this Japanese word ikigai, and ikigai loosely translated is the reason you get up in the morning. And all of these centenarians have, in Japan, have an ikigai, you know, and it's huge. Imagine waking up and just being excited to do something. Um, It makes a huge difference. It's as simple as it sounds. And how do people find it who may not have it? Because you were lucky enough um, to really realize that photography was your passion very early in life. Yeah, I don't think, uh, as we'll see in Japan, it doesn't matter what your ikigai is. I'm going to tell a story about an ikigai, a guy whose ikigai is weeding every day. Another one whose ikigai is standing on his head. And another one whose ikigai is fishing. So it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't have to be some grandiose um, career or occupation. It just needs to be something that you're personally excited about every day. There has to be some passion that gets you out of bed and you think that I've got to, I got to get this done today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think of, think of the health benefits of that and rolling out of bed, excited to start a new day, mm-hmm. you know? Some of the, some of the principles that uh, Legacy Parks is founded on, we think of conserve, create, connect, leaving East Tennessee better than we found it. Um, you're talking about that in your message today at the luncheon. What do you think um, could inform that, uh, that mission for us that, that you could offer from your experiences? Well, I'm going to tell stories of how, um, I'm going to tell a story of a woman making gnocchi today. And this woman is making gnocchi, but it's not about the food. It's about her being with her friends. It's about her having something to do. It's about her as a 98-year-old being able to contribute. It's about her getting exercise because she's moving around. Well, I think the work of the Legacy Parks Foundation is the same way. A trail isn't about a piece of concrete through the woods. A trail is an opportunity to meet other people. A trail is an opportunity to move naturally. A trail is an opportunity to connect neighborhoods that were never otherwise connected. A trail is an opportunity to reduce childhood obesity. So these things that Legacy Parks are creating is just a a springboard, right? It's, it's a springboard to other things that all involve health and well-being for a larger community. Have you seen communities that do that much better than others in your travels? Well, yeah, the, all of the Blue Zones do it naturally. And what's so interesting is they don't try. There's no public planning board or initiative to try to make people healthier. It's just the way they live. And I think in America, oftentimes, 
being healthier is equated with this puritanical mindset of I have to diet and torture myself or I have to get up at five and go to the gym. And that's just not the way these centenarians do it. It's all built into their life in a very natural way. And I would argue a, par, a, trail, a bike trail is a great example of that. Because all of a sudden, if you can ride your bike to work, you're, you're getting exercise, you're doing all these things that are great, and you're not sitting in traffic. And you don't, the second you do it, who would go back to traffic? But if there's no bike trail there, you're not doing it. Let's explore uh, blue zones a little bit because that's been a, a big part of your work most recently. Um, what are they and when, where do you find them for, for our listeners who, who don't, aren't familiar with them? Um, blue zone, the, the term blue zone was dubbed by my um, colleague, Dan Butner, who's a writer and explorer. And um, working closely with demographers, he's verified the five places on earth where people live the longest, healthiest lives. And they're uh, Loma Linda, California, Okinawa, Japan, Sardinia, Italy, the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica, and Icaria, Greece. And the, these are places where people outlive everyone else with longer, healthier lives. And Dan's work and the work of the Blue Zones and my work to a degree has been around condensing that wisdom and bringing it to people in a way that they can use it too. And you talked about uh, the importance of a bike trail. Are there other things that, let's talk about some other attributes that Blue Zones have that we might aspire to um, as communities to, to improve our quality of life? Um, yeah, eat mostly plants. Um, four of the five Blue Zones are not vegetarians, but they don't eat much meat, like about a deck of card-sized piece of meat a week. Compare that to sausage for breakfast, a turkey sandwich for lunch, and a hamburger for dinner. Um, so, and they don't have to starve themselves because the caloric density, uh, the caloric intake that you get from grains and vegetables is um, much less than meat. So you can eat a mountain of vegetables and grains and it's the same as eating a cheeseburger. So it's not like these people are starving themselves. They're just eating mostly um, vegetables, grains, and legumes. Beans are the unsung hero. Um, they're cheap, they're healthy. Uh, Dan and I have spent the last two years working on a cookbook that comes out in December. It's called The Blue Zones Kitchen. It's 100 recipes that'll help you live to 100. And um, it's basically gourmet peasant food. These, these people are eating very inexpensively, but what their secret is they've learned how to make inexpensive food taste delicious. And in America, you're never gonna see an advertisement for beans on the Super Bowl. No one is pushing beans in America, but they're one of the example of a very inexpensive food that's cheap to eat. And what about um, their work ethic in those communities? Are they working 70-hour weeks um, at what they're doing, or how, how does that vibe with the balance in their life? Well, that's a great question. And um, in most of the Blue Zones, uh, the people who are the oldest are living a lifestyle from a different day and age, right? And they're losing their longevity edge because the kids are not carrying that lifestyle on. But in Loma Linda, California, which to me is the most interesting blue zones in a lot of ways to an American, is because it's in California, it's off the San Bernardino Expressway. They're doctors, they're lawyers, uh, they have iPhones, they have stressful jobs, maybe they're working 70 hours a week. But they have one key thing, they're Seventh-day Adventists. And the Seventh-day Adventist religion preaches that they are non-smoking, non-drinking, vegetarians who practice the Sabbath. So by doing those four things, women will outlive their non-Seventh-day 
counterparts by up to nine years and men up to seven years. So they get seven to nine years more life just by doing those things. And you know what? They look just like me and you mm -hmm. and they have just the same jobs as me and you. So it's possible. How about, and this may be too in the weeds, but how about sleep? Do these people get um, seven or eight hours as we're hearing now is, is important for a healthy lifestyle or does it vary on region? Uh, that's interesting. I, I don't know exactly. I haven't read the research on that, mm -hmm. but uh, the centenarians I've spent time with uh, didn't seem to have much trouble sleeping. <laughs> that's, that's good. <laughs> They're worn out from their day of, of purpose. Right, exactly. <laughs> that's right. Well, let's, uh, you, you spent a lot of time uh, photographing different people and places in the, in the world. Is, is there a, a travel destination that stands out to you that, of, of a place that you, was something different than your initial expectations going in? Um, my favorite place right now is Greenland. And I'd spent a bunch of time there years ago on an assignment um, with uh, Inuit hunters mm -hmm. and was just back for the month of June. I spent the whole month of June there mm -hmm. on an assignment for um, GQ magazine and travel and leisure. And it's amazing. I love it. It's just one of the most incredible places and very few people go there. What is it about Greenland that you love? That, you know, often with places you've you hear stories of people living these authentic lifestyles, but then you get there and you know they might have a Coca-Cola t-shirt on or they're kind of recreated a little bit or there's more to the story. But in, in Greenland, you can still go see an Inuit hunter harpoon a narwhal from a sea kayak. You know, I mean, I don't know where else on earth you can do that. And just the sheer beauty and grandeur. And um, maybe more importantly, the fact that Greenland is really the canary in the coal mine for climate change. And um, you'll be hearing more and more about it in the coming years because it's really at the center of that in a lot of ways. Speaking of photographs, is there a photograph you've taken that you feel like is the, is the best you've ever taken? I know that's tough to, uh, to select, but uh, is there one? Well, for me, it's the next one. It's the next one. Yeah, because I, I just am always like moving forward and always trying to evolve, evolve my craft continually and work harder. We talked about one of your colleagues, uh, Pete McBride, last year. He was the luncheon speaker, and he too is a, an, an amazing photographer and documentarian like yourself. But um, was there has there been a photograph that you've missed? Is there a backstory to that where you thought, man, this is going to be fantastic? and it just never materialized. Because I think for so many photographers, the missed shots are the ones where like, dang, that would have been awesome. Yeah, when I was in Greenland, um, uh, just recently, we went up to this town called Kanak, and it's one of the northernmost inhabited cities on earth. And I wanted to make a short film on this auk hunt. And auks are these little tiny birds. And the Inuit love to eat them. They're a delicacy. And they hunt, the millions of them come to this one cliff on their migration every year. And these Inuit guys scale the cliffs with these giant nets on long sticks. And they scoop these ox out of the, of the air. And then they stuff them into an inside-out seal, bury them in the ground for six months. They ferment naturally, and then they eat them at once. Wow. Right. And so we got to Kanak. And this cliff is just, I don't know, five miles up. And you usually get there by dog sled, but the ice was bad. So there was no way to get to the auk hunt. So we spent thousands and thousands of dollars in 10 days of our time to get to go see this 
hunt, and we never even got to the cliff. And ah. that's just the way it rolls sometimes. That is so the way it rolls. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's run through just a, a couple of kind of quick hits. Uh, you talked about your favorite travel spot. What's your favorite book? Oh, that's really interesting. I read more books than I look at pictures. I don't know why. I, I love the magazines. I surprise, like I love the New Yorker. I read the New York Times every day, neither of which are really much about photography. Um, and uh, oh, I don't know. I I, read, I love Michael Pollan's books. Um, the Omnivore Dilemma is great. How to Change Your Mind, um, which he just wrote, is unbelievable, um, un- unbelievably interesting. Um, and and yeah, I just find I find books endlessly fascinating. You mentioned Greenland is a as a favorite travel destination. Is there a most interesting culture? Honestly, they they all are to me. My favorite part of my job is that I get to spend I've spent my life spending time with people who are nothing like me. In my own country, in faraway lands, and they're all interesting. And you know, truth is always stranger than fiction. You have these ideas of what people are supposed to be like, you know? And then when you actually spend time with them, it's so much more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. And, and they're human, and 99.9% of them are trying to get their kids off to school and create a slightly better life for their, their, their offspring. You know, and I find that so refreshing, and nowadays more important than ever to remember. Along those lines, is there a biggest surprise of, of your life and your life's work? Something that you went into and thought, nah, it'll be like this, and it just wasn't. It was totally different than what you expected. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. Um, honestly, I think that happens more in America now. Um, I was out in um, Fort Worth, Texas recently, and I had ideas about what that might be like coming from the East Coast, and it, it completely shattered my, uh, it, turned, it turned all of my stereotypes and what I thought these people who I wouldn't have much in common with on its head. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's, it's those little things. Mm-hmm. I'm going to name a couple of things just quickly as well. Um, when you, in just your, your first reaction, when you think of mountains, what comes to mind? The Karakoram Highway in Pakistan, which is, has the most amazing mountains on earth, and very few people get to go to, especially now. How about rivers? Oh, the Tatanshini River in, uh, in uh, Alaska and British Columbia. Forests? Oh, I flew over with McBride last year, this primordial forest. It's one of the largest untouched forests in Africa, and it's over by the Somali border and it's filled with botflies and al-shabaab. So you cannot go there. But flying over that with McBride last year, it was the most extraordinary place I've ever seen. Deserts. Taklamaka Desert in Western China, where I was kicked by a camel and almost died. Oceans. Oh, that's a no-brainer. The, uh, my own backyard in Portland, Maine, uh, the Gulf of Maine, most beautiful body of ocean on earth in my mind. How about volunteers? Uh, Marge Jatan, the 101-year-old triple-digit exhibit, amazing human being, volunteers every day, and she brings food to the old people. <laughs> and uh, volunteers, I forget the exact number, but I think if you volunteer, you will outlive someone who doesn't volunteer by three years. Your purpose in life? Um, to tell stories. David, it's been a pleasure. The pleasure's been mine. I've really enjoyed my time here and look forward to today.
Thank you very much. Yeah. Appreciate it. You bet. Well, you can You're keep... so good at this. You do this for a living? <laughs> We're just having fun. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Outdoor Knoxville Insider Podcast. Lots more chargers to come. Uh, keep having fun on the trails and greenways as well as those blue ways, and we'll see you next time.